I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here ends the New Testament reading. As Ken said, that song is a really good prayer for coming to the Bible, so I won't pray again. Uh, Do please sit. And before we turn to the Bible, um, Ken has asked me to give a, a personal recommendation of the marriage course, which I certainly can do. Tess and I did it a couple of years into marriage. Um, I'd say three things about it. Number one, it was a really enjoyable date night out um, at a busy time of life. Uh, Number two, it does make time um, that makes you talk about things which in the busyness of life can go by the board, and we found that really helpful. Uh, And number three, it is done in a really fun way. It's the very opposite of intense and uh, there are some DVDs of what we call the sofa couples um, who get interviewed each week about whatever the topic is whether it's money or sex or relating to your in-laws I thought that was going to be the worst part of the course and it was in fact the best because some of them are hilarious but actually it's really really informative so in my, my experience of it was just the same as marriage, that at its best, it's something that is serious and fun. Um, and the course was, was like that. Okay, on to the Bible. Uh, let me start by asking you to imagine something, if you would. Imagine that the government uh, this coming week passes a new extremism law. And the law says that the message of the Bible is extreme. And anyone who publicly teaches it is breaking the law. So that by the end of next week, Ken, who's been leading the service, uh, is in custody awaiting trial. So he's been part of three years planning for this new church. He's moved his family uh, to a new house. Uh, He's seen all the excitement of the first months of this church. And now he's facing prison. Put yourself in his shoes. Ask yourself, how would you feel... And if you were writing to Fiona and friends, what, what would you say? You, may, you might say something like, this is a nightmare. Or, I'm desperate to get out of here and get back to doing something useful for God. Or, uh, I'm really worried about the effect this is going to have on St. Joseph's. Well, in Sunday services, um, we are learning from the Bible book of Philippians. Uh, That is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church he started in a city called Philippi in Greece. So I'm going to call the people in that church the Philippians. That's been the kind of Christian tradition to call them that. Since starting this church, Paul had been arrested uh, for talking about Jesus, and uh, he was now in custody in Rome awaiting trial before 
the emperor. And the Philippians' natural reaction to that would be exactly the same as your natural reaction to hearing that Ken was in custody by the end of next week. They would have been thinking, you know, this is dreadful for Paul, um, and this is dreadful for the cause of the gospel. But that isn't how Paul saw it. And this morning, we're going to learn from his example in this next bit of the letter to Philippians. So could you find one of the Bibles that are around the seats? And could you turn to page 980, page 980? And when you've found that, if if you're not kind of familiar with the way Bibles are laid out, um, big number one means chapter one. And in chapter one, could you find little number 12 or verse 12. So page 980, Philippians big number one, and then little number one, uh, sorry, little number 12. Where Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, and that was actually a word that included uh, women, uh, so let me say, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that's how he called his fellow Christians, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. In other words, do it good. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, which is an amazing attitude, isn't it? Because he's saying, look, what matters most is more people hearing the gospel. That's what matters most. And that's the first of two lessons from this part of the Bible this morning. So number one, what matters most is more people hearing the gospel. Because Paul was saying, look, what matters most is not that I'm in prison, or how soon I get out, but the more people are hearing the gospel, the message of Jesus and what he's done to put us right with God. So if you look at verse 12 again, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So you can imagine each new guard looking after Paul comes in and says, so what are you in for? And Paul says, talking about Jesus. And the guard says, who's he? And Paul's off, like a shot. And he, he, he tells him the gospel for however many hours he's on duty. Then the new guard comes in and replaces him, and he has exactly the same conversation with Paul, while the old guard goes off to the canteen and sits down and says, I have just had the weirdest conversation. Just listen to this. And loads more people are hearing the gospel. And for Paul... That is what mattered most. And if you ask why, it's, I guess as I was saying a bit earlier, it's because everybody needs what Jesus has done for them. Uh, Everybody needs putting right with God again, and that only happens through Jesus. So Paul knew that Jesus had died on the cross so that we could be forgiven everything we need forgiving. Paul knew that Jesus had risen from the dead so that spiritually he can come into our lives and change us, like I was saying uh, earlier. And that is basically the gospel in a nutshell, and everybody needs it. So if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, um, what matters most in your life is, is whether or not you do. That is your biggest need. That is the biggest decision you face, even if you face some other pretty big ones at the moment. Um, And if that is you, can I say, why not not pick up one of these copies of this booklet, Why Jesus, which is really about what putting your faith in Jesus means, what's that that all about? Um, And can I say, uh, why not come along to one of those explore groups and uh, on the yellow sheet 
that's tucked in your service sheet, you'll find everything you need to know uh, about those and how to uh, sign up for them. Or just talk to Ken or talk to one of the others um, if you want to know more about them. And actually, the whole reason for this new church being here is that what matters most is that more people hear the gospel. So people, uh, as I guess most of us know, have given serious money to get this whole building redone. Um, I know one couple, for example, who scrapped plans for their own house in order to give to this. And that's because they believe what matters most is more people hearing the gospel. Um, For those here on the team who've moved over um, from the other church, um, I bet you are finding that a bigger upheaval than you thought it would be. It's a big ask for your children, big, big ask. But you're here because what matters most is more people hearing the gospel. And it will already have been hard work, and it will carry on being hard work because that is what starting a church is. And at least sometimes I think you'll wish you weren't that you were just able to be a more easygoing passenger in a church where there's not so much work to do. But you're doing it because what matters most is more people hearing the gospel. So Paul's example here is that we look at our circumstances and we say, God has put me here. And now how can I use these circumstances so that more people hear the gospel? So just think of the Roman emperor's imperial guard. My guess is it was almost impossible for your average Christian in Rome to touch any of them with the gospel. So what what does God do? He takes the apostle Paul, one of the most gifted evangelists, and he plants him in the middle of the imperial guard at the slight inconvenience to Paul of having to be a prisoner. But what a brilliant way in. And likewise, God has planted this new church in the middle of this community, which is a great new way in for the gospel. It's not the only way in. There are other churches around. But here's a great new way in for people. Um, And I know the rise, the new houses behind me, that's only one little sector of the community. But again, God's wisdom is so obvious in getting a new church going as new people are moving in just a stone's throw over there. And if you've come along as a newcomer in the first months of this new church, God will have you planted in a part of the community where there are probably no other Christians and you are the only way that people are going to hear about Jesus. And God is saying to you this morning, um, I want you to be my way in. And here's a support team for you to join. But Paul didn't just say that more people were hearing about Jesus because of him being in prison. He said his example meant more Christians were talking about Jesus. So look down to Philippians 1 verse 14, where Paul says, And most of the brothers and sisters, in other words, the Christians in Rome, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Before Easter, I was involved in an explore group, a bit like the things that you've got going now, and a couple of the new Christians in that group said how discouraged they already were by the reactions of housemates and friends and colleagues to their new faith. And we talked quite a lot about how on the one hand, if you're a Christian, you really do want to tell other people about Jesus, and on the other hand, it can be so hard that you're you're tempted to pack in and be quiet. Um, And that's when we need the example of Paul here or of the many Christians who are suffering 
badly for their faith today or Christians in the past that you can read about. Um, because you look at them and you think, you know, if they were willing to suffer what they did for Jesus, shouldn't we be willing to suffer something and something more than we already do for Jesus? So that's lesson one, number one. What matters most is more people hearing the gospel. Lesson number two is pretty much the same again. What matters most is more Christians spreading the gospel. So Paul's just said his example was making the Christians in Rome, you know, bolder in speaking for Jesus. You know, if he can do that, surely I can do my little bit. Now look down to what he says about some of them in verse 15. He says... Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, which sounds bizarre, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me, in other words, give me grief in my imprisonment, which leaves you think, what is going on? I mean, aren't Christians supposed to be on the same side, all playing for Jesus? But Paul says, you know, some of them are treating him like a rival and trying to sort of put him down while he's in prison. It's like Shelby tackling Mitrovic just as he's about to score the winner, or Colaccini putting the ball in his own net, or like that stupid fight on the pitch between Kieran Dyer and Lee Bowyer, if you're old enough to remember that one. So what is going on here? These people really were Christians, These people really were preaching the Jesus of the Bible, but probably they didn't like the way Paul did it. And they were criticizing him publicly for it, saying things like, you know, if Paul had been wiser, if he played his cards right, he wouldn't have got arrested and he wouldn't have damaged the reputation of the church. He should have been more careful about the way he did things. And if he was getting into trouble, especially through talking to Jewish people about the gospel, well, then he should have stopped talking to them, shouldn't he? So this group of Christians had the attitude that, you know, we know better, our way of doing things is better, and I bet in their worst moments they were even secretly glad that Paul was out of the way. So what does Paul think about them? Once again, his attitude is just amazing. Look down to verse 18, where he says, what then? In other words, what do I think of them? And you and I would probably have let rip, wouldn't we, in a letter to close friends at this point? We'd have said, I don't think they're even Christians. I certainly think the church would be better off without people like that on the scene. And Paul says, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, in other words, bad motivations or good motivations, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I mean, how big is this man's attitude? He says, if people are talking about the Jesus of the Bible, even if they're bad-mouthing me, I rejoice. Because what matters most is more Christians spreading the gospel. Those of you who've been Christians for any time know that it is so easy for groups of Christians who are all uh, preaching the Jesus of the Bible to criticize one another, um, to think that they are better than one another, and to behave basically as if they were on different sides. And we need to guard against that attitude, uh, and we need to have Paul's attitude here instead. 
I'm aware there may be other Christians in Benwell who feel that the starting up of this church is a kind of implied criticism of what they've been doing for years and years. And we need to say and we need to show that that is not true at all. The reason this church started was simply that God put the opportunity on our plate and corporately we had the conviction that it was right to take it. So this church has not started as a rival to anything else that's going on. We want to say we rejoice in all of the other churches in this part of the city. We want to say they are glad, we're glad that they're there. We're glad that they're doing what they're doing. Um, not least because different kinds of churches often tend to reach and help different kinds of people, don't they? There are things that God willing this church will be able to do that others may be struggling to do. But that's nothing to do with us being better. It's a matter, it's a matter of resources that, for example, we could run that holiday club that we did. So all Christians need this attitude that what matters most is more Christians spreading the gospel. Christians who are preaching the Jesus of the Bible need to look at one another, um, one another's churches, and say, you know, I might not do it that way. Uh, I might not think exactly the same as you on certain, certain secondary things, but I rejoice that your church is there and that it's doing what it's doing to make Jesus known. Let me just end by mentioning a couple of things that I think will test whether we here have that attitude. One applies to all of us who are Christians, and it's the fact that you may have other neighbors in this part of town or meet people who are invited to other churches in this part of town. And you may have hoped that you could invite them along here, but it doesn't turn out like that. And here's the test. Will you rejoice that someone is telling them about Jesus, even when that someone isn't you? That's the test. The other thing applies to those of us who were in any way part of the old St. Joseph's. Um, I was talking uh, to someone like that a few months back, and it really came home to me what a massive deal it was that this building has changed hands, that in a sense the ministry here has changed hands. But here's the test again. Are we able to say what matters most is that the Jesus of the Bible is being preached. Uh, another guy who grew up coming to St. Joseph's came along before Christmas, started coming then, and he had exactly this attitude, because I remember him saying, an awful lot has changed here. That was the kind of understatement of the century, looking at the building and, and everything. But then he said this. He said, I've agreed with everything that's been said tonight, and I'll be back. And Paul would say, that is brilliant. That is someone saying, verse... 18. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So those are the two lessons from this week's uh, helping of Philippians. What matters most is more people hearing the gospel. Other side of the coin, what happens most is more, what matters most is more Christians spreading the gospel. In other words, what matters most is the gospel, is Jesus, and what he's done to put people right with God. And if we have that attitude, then this will be a united church and a church that blesses the community and it is also a great encouragement to the other churches here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us 
this amazing example of the Apostle Paul. And we pray that you'd help us like him to see others as people who above all need to hear about Jesus and help us to see the opportunities you've given us to tell them about Jesus, both as individuals where we are throughout the week uh, and as a new church together here on this side of the city. We pray that you'd help us to be a church which is united around Jesus and blesses the community and encourages every other Christian around by his presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.